Yeah, by the end of this episode, you'll have a full beard again, so. <laughs> I will, yeah. <laughs> Today, it was, it was too much, so I was like, okay, I gotta take this off. <laughs> yeah, by Tuesday, it'll just be the, the regular amount. It'll be the one trim. And then that, that'll be the last episode we record before I head off to the land of... Not magic carpets, that's Arabic. Spices? Me? Yeah, just you. Yeah, yeah, the homeland. Yeah, <laughs> the land of me. Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Welcome everyone to another great, great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I'm here with your only co-host, Nathan Calvin. That's me. How, what does that make you? Uh, I'm just a shadow. I'm like like a figure on the wall, fly on the wall. Sorry. Okay. I'm here to just make everything. I don't know. Just add to your excellence. Okay. That's what I'm really here for. Wow. Huh. Weird that I can be the only person who's the co-host without a second one, but all right. Do what I can. I'll try to hold up that half of the deal. <laughs> That's what you do. You're the... This is a show about oxymorons mm. because there's already one. Right. All right. Well... Besides the oxy. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, um, how you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> 2021 is going great. Um, January is about to end. By the time people listen to this, it'll probably be March. Yeah, um, yeah, I think probably the last week of March. Probably, yeah. So just running a little little time zone behind, I guess, time date zone behind. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, it's been good. They're, the only thing I have to complain about, really, is just that as soon as the weather gets close to zero, in Victoria. This is my pet peeve, my annual pet peeve. The city decides it's time to start pouring buckets of salt everywhere. So I step outside my door and there are literal piles of salt. And normally I'm exaggerating and I just mean like 20 times the amount of salt you need. But no, there's an actual like pile of salt just sitting outside my door. And next to it, about two feet over, is another one. And then two feet from that is another one. So it's just, it's a strange, strange thing for a city that knows nothing about winter to just pour mm. these, these piles of salt everywhere. But other than that, uh, despite the fact that there's salt, there's no real winter uh, outside. So it's been lovely enjoying that. Days are getting longer, as, as you mentioned, end of January. And uh, probably going to go back and do some climbing starting in February. So that'll be good. So yeah, lots of good stuff. Sounds like someone has just access to free salt and is not using it. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's anything I want to do with that salt. Mm. Um, if you throw it at somebody, is do you get charged for assault? Again, I specifically asked not to tell bad jokes that I don't know how to respond to. Uh, all right. Well, no, I don't. Okay. I don't know what the rules are. I try not to assault people. Okay, that's good, because that's good, yeah. In some cultures, it's frowned upon. Yes. Yeah, Canada being generally a friendly nation, uh, you shouldn't assault people. Maybe they'll just apologize to you. They'll just be like, sorry. Yeah, it's amazing how often you can totally be the one that's in somebody else's way, and then both people apologize. It never ceases to amaze me ever since spending some time in the States, and just that difference, where they'll look at you and you're like, they're like, why are you in the way? And you go, oh, I'm sorry. But in Canada, you're clearly in the way. And both people are just like, oh, sorry. So. 
Yeah, and and you just in states you just have to assert your dominance. Right. Because it's a similar culture in India where if you run into someone's way, either they're just too busy to give a crap, so they'll just walk away, or they get annoyed and they're like, "Why are you in my way?" So you just have to be the bigger guy and be like, "Well, why are you in my way?" Mm. And you keep doing that until one of your, one of you like realizes it's pointless, and then you walk away. Or you're just like, okay, watch out from next time or something. Wow. Like you're gonna see that guy again for whatever reason. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to put up with that because my Canadian sensibilities would do horribly there. That's true. My tragically Canadian but that's you work out, sensibilities. Right? Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess did you have anything interesting to report on yeah. from the past week? Actually, a lot of cool stuff happened this okay. past Okay, great. This will make up for my This will make up for my lack of impressive things. Oh. <laughs> well, the the most interesting thing I found was um, Elastic opens changed their open source licensing for Elasticsearch and Kibana. And AWS and Elastic has apparently had this like fight for the longest time. It's like a reality TV drama in tech space that I wasn't even aware is happening until like last week. And I've been reading up on it and it's amazing. So Elastic comes up with all of these amazing products, right? It has Elasticsearch, Kibana and everything. And it's under the, pretty sure it's either MIT or Apache license where it's basically, you can use it for commercial use. You can do whatever you want. We yep. love open source. Mm -hmm. So AWS comes and says, that sounds good. I will host it for my customers and I will charge the money for it. So then AWS starts making a bunch of money from this service that's free by Elastic. And now Elastic has diverged more into Elastic Cloud where they're offering it as on their own service. But people still go quick going to AWS, mostly because it's tried and tested and there are certain distinctions between how they price storage and AWS ends up becoming cheaper if you're storing large amounts of data. But Elastic Cloud is better if you're doing lots of processing or whatnot. Um, anyways, so that's happening. So Elastic is just mad and they're like, hey, you're doing this. We're mad about it. So we're going to change the license to be something like OSS or something. And so that basically restricts anybody providing it as a commercial license and they are going to take it in their own direction. Then AWS comes and says, hey, I don't like that. So they took the open source version up until the point the licensing was good and forked it. Mm -hmm. They said, this is open source, we're allowed to do this, and now we're gonna add our own features. And I just, I, it was just hilarious to me because news reporters were going to both sides and this is just like, what we're doing is completely legal and completely okay and we should be allowed to do this. And Elastic is sitting in their corner saying, I hope our loyal customers understand why we took the steps we took and decides to stay with us. And what I don't know if they realize is not is their products are used by people who have jobs and they will always prefer the low cost option. You could have a shinier thing. I'm sure Elastic Cloud is great in many aspects, but if AWS overall provides cheaper processing and everything, people are going to go there. And so you just took away open source from a whole bunch of independent developers um, or people who now will have to read both licenses and understand the implications of a single product being developed by two different companies in completely two different tracks. And that part saddens me a little bit, but 
just the drama and reading up on it. Like, I don't watch reality TV shows, so this was great. This is, like, this is everything I wanted for the whole week. Wow. Uh, I can see how excited you are. I, I was. I, I It is hilarious to me. These are, like, multi-million dollar companies. Amazon is billionaire, billion dollar company or whatever. And they're, they're fighting about this stuff, being like, oh, no, this is my software. No, this was my software. And it was just, yeah... I, I got a huge kick out of it. So that was first cool tech news of the week that I um, really enjoyed. And then, yeah, and then I, while on topic of Elasticsearch, because I've been doing a lot of that work lately, uh, I found this GitHub, Git, um, GitHub repo called uh, Elastic View. And it's Elasticsearch managing slash uh, search client written in Vue.js which is relevant to our talk today. It sure so, is. Yeah, and it was pretty cool because Kibana, being a very powerful tool, doesn't really give you a tabular view. And a lot of people searching through things can get a little frustrated or scared of Kibana because if you don't fully understand how it's doing what it's doing, uh, it can, you know, you, you use the dashboard and... Searches can be anything because it searches across every field. There's a little syntax you have to learn. Um, so Elastic View is very straightforward. It's a search bar. You type in whatever, and it gives you everything in a tabular view, and you can go through it. And, yeah, and it's also free for now, but who knows about open source anymore? Uh, <laughs> I will never trust any licenses. Fork everything wow. as but while you can and make it your own. NPM. I'm coming for you. You heard it here first. Fork everything. Again, Misha. Fork everything. <laughs> All right. Well, was that the last thing on your list? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing I have, uh, it's not even related to tech. It's just I've realized that my pattern for watching YouTube videos over the last year just gradually became more and more trying to fill my life with very wholesome stuff. Uh, I think it was just a response to like lack of... Uh, other things to do. So I was like, you know what, if I'm not going to be working, I'd rather just watch something wholesome. And related to that, apparently based on the comments on this video, it was one of those random ones where the YouTube algorithm just picked it up again and just started recommending it to everybody. So there's this video, This mu it's a music video, it's a cover of all things, but it's a, a cover on a channel called uh, Kurt Hugo Schneider of Counting Stars and it's just these three people just playing a song, but it's so wholesome. And so uh, I've been listening to that every every day, a couple times. And uh, anytime I need a little break while my code's running through the pipeline or something, just throw that on, get some good vibes, and continue with my day. So that's the only thing I have that stood out notably that I wanted to share on the show. But it's uh, it's a nice one. Are you going to link it in the show notes yeah. for everybody? Yeah, I guess I have to. Yeah. Wholesome video. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh, at least as good as the other videos I've sent you that you haven't watched. Exactly. I mean, I'm surprised it's not just more Lonely Island being thrown at you or uh, forgot the last thing you sent me. Something with it had a P in it. That's all I remember. <laughs> it's not specific enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. You know, you, you remember things. You forget things. It's yeah. good person featuring Rumi. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, that has Lonely Island vibes, but it is not actually Lonely Island. Okay. So, right, so you suggested the topic for today, which is a bit surprising given the topic. So maybe yeah. explain what we're going to be talking about and why you wanted to discuss it. Sure. Yeah. So for anybody who skipped the title because they were just so excited to see episode V launched and just wanted to listen to it right away. Yeah, straight to the content. Um, we are going to be talking about the three famous front-end frameworks um, as it stands right now in January 2021, uh, Angular, Vue, and React. And the reason I wanted to talk about them is because I am the front-end expert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, because I've been doing a little bit of research. There are certain apps I need to start building for the next quarter or two for, at my place of work. And they're going to be starting from scratch. And one of the things I could have extended was written Angular, and I hated it. So I figured what's a better way to read through or like reiterate about what's good or bad about these three languages than to talk to the only front-end expert I know. Uh, besides Dan Abramov, he comes second, and then Nathan comes first. That's right. Because I can actually talk to him. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's very responsive on Twitter and GitHub, but... I'll be more responsive on Slack and everywhere else. So. That's true. I can text you at 5 a.m. with a completely ridiculous question and get a response. Oh, that was such a false... Uh, this guy. So I had, what does the fox say, stuck in my head for a few days. And I told him, and he texts me at 5 a.m. because he knows I'm up. And asks me <laughs> if I can tell him what the fox says. And it was back in my head for a couple hours. So this guy's a jerk. Um, regardless of that, we're going to be talking about front-end frameworks. Yeah, uh, just don't read. It had been a couple of days, so I figured maybe it's out of your head by now. Yeah. so I could just put it back. Yeah, in. appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but yes, I wanted to talk about the different front-end frameworks. Also, I did a lot of research, and there seems to be a lot of different articles comparing all of them because front-end is generally how people get into development, um, and a lot of people write about it and then everybody gets confused. So I figured maybe from a complete beginner perspective on these things and somebody who's used some of these frameworks more, uh, we could in like take some of that information, make it a little bit more digestible and easier to understand for anybody else going through the same thing so they don't have to spend a bunch of time and can just listen to us and have a good life. Nice. Good, yeah. good lives are a net positive. They are. Agreed. So where should we start? I think uh, just a little overview of the three languages, if you want to start with that. Sure. So this is going to be very, there's a big disparity between my knowledge of React and then the other two. Uh, the other two have not, I've not spent multiple years writing production applications in. So no amount of pre-show research was going to bridge that gap. But as a general principle, I've thought a bit about the differences between them. And the way I'd describe it is kind of like this. So they're all for make they're all intended to be used for making front-end web applications uh, that are ostensibly called single page applications. So you do a bunch of client-side routing that allows you to navigate between what would look like different pages on a website without making a full browser reload with HTML pages. So that gets you some benefits, 
add some complexity. For that reason alone, you may or may not need a front-end framework to do whatever you want to do. You might just need a static website. But if you decide you want a front-end framework, the three common ones right now are React, Angular, and Vue. So React is a very small library that is ostensibly just a runtime. And its main job is to figure out the diff of what it should produce based on the inputs and how those have changed over time. And we've happened to use that at this point to run a HTML generation system that we power with things like Webpack. So the idea behind it, and I'll add this in the uh, show notes as well, uh, Dan Abramov's blog has a post about how React is a runtime and that's how they think about it. So it's very generic as far as it's designed. Something like Angular, by contrast, has the Angular way of doing something. So it is fully encompassed, like you look at a small piece of an Angular app and you see ng whatever, and you're like, oh, it's an Angular app. And it does things Angular apps can do in the Angular way. And you can't just take out like a chunk of Angular code from it, what it would use as a component and drop it into a React app and have much hope that it's going to do something similar because of the way that they have combined um, functionality and view structure in those two different ways. And then view is kind of in between. It has it has some of the templating structure that you get from something like Angular, but it looks a lot more like standard HTML and has a lot of the stuff that you would see, like I mentioned before in a previous episode with handlebars, where you can do things like looping or whatever inside of your, um, inside of your views. But also it, the big thing that dif differentiates it from React is the way that it does data binding because it has two-way data binding, and React does not. Without getting too far down the rabbit hole on any of those, I already went a bit further than I wanted to, uh, those are kind of the high-level differences. You've got something super generic, you've got something that's super constrained as far as like, this is the way you do it, and you have something kind of in between that just takes a different approach to how to manage the state in the application. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. So what why would i want to use one or the other it, <laughs> my opinion on how you should do that is figure out what you're what you're trying to do so if you're trying to get a job what you should probably do is look at job postings see if you live in an angular town or a react town and then learn that one uh, we we live in a React town. There's tons of React over here on the West Coast, and I haven't seen anybody ask me about Angular unless they're maintaining legacy systems. So it's just React. My last three companies have been React. I'm sure my next company will probably be React. And if not, it might be Ruby on Rails that's doing server-side uh, <laughs> view generation. And that's about it. So for me, if I were looking for job availability, it would be choosing React. If you're just doing this as a side project, 
you can do whichever you could kind of just go I guess to the uh, hello world documentation look at those and see like which one do I feel best about if there's one that's naturally intuitive to you or one that you're more naturally curious about you could go with that because it really matters that little if you're just doing it for fun and the other thing to consider is just their general uh, reputation so react tends to have a fair amount of boilerplate compared to something like Vue, but it's a bit more generalizable as far as the concepts go. Vue gets away with a lot less boilerplate from what I've seen at least, because it is everything's written knowing that it's in a Vue app, not this sort of standard generic way that React and Redux and those are written. So you get to write a lot less code and from what I've heard of anybody who likes Vue, it makes people really happy to work on Vue applications. So if that's kind of what you're going for and you're curious about Vue, it might be the one for you. I've written a couple um, proof of concept like job application front ends using Vue, specifically because you can kind of just type in whatever you want in this, their CLI and it'll just spit out that for you. So you're like, I want a TypeScript thing that does this thing and has these things plugged in. You get an app, and then you really need to change like four lines, and now you've got your to-do MVC that you need for your stupid job application. So it can be great for that sort of thing as well. Cool, so now I know every job application that has given you a take-home task. You just use the CLI, <laughs> change four lines of code. I uh, try, I try, yeah, for the front end. Okay. Can we make the clickbait title be like make hundred thousand a year by just changing four lines of code? Yeah, and then I just add a CSS class that centers everything. Oh wow! Yeah, with an important tag. That's how they know that it matters. Yes. Like this guy gets it. <laughs> um, but yeah, on the on the topic of like happiness, at least um, I have been doing a little bit of view lately. Yeah. I did quite a bit of Angular on some of the older projects I've worked on, mm -hmm. um, mostly governments, and a little bit at EA. And then the React, React was mostly just on startups. Uh, while I lived in Victoria, every startup breathed uh, React. When I applied for a full stack position somewhere here in Vancouver, they still wanted to see a React app. Um, with more TypeScript than generally I've used. I've really only seen TypeScript on like Angular, um, never on Vue, and yeah, they wanted a TypeScript project for React. And the benefit was they were, they were trying to share the typings between the front end and the back end. Um, so that's why they were like, why don't you write the front end in TypeScript? And so I was like, sure. Uh, it was an interview, man, and I didn't have a strong opinion either way, so I just went with it. You didn't um, tell them to stop using JavaScript on the back end? Use real language? I, I did, because uh, their back end was very complicated mm -hmm. uh, on the fact that part of the interview question was something extremely niche about how Axios handles network calls and how you could use different tunnels or something right to make the make it more efficient and it's like that you should not be dealing with those problems that those are not problems to solve while building an application that has nothing to do with networking um, but that's what they wanted yeah. and so i was like this is not the place for me i'm gonna go find a different place to work yeah 
I resist. I resisted really well. If you could, if you could understand how deeply I wanted to go on a rant there, uh, I resisted that because that's not the episode. But I really wanted yes. to. Don't don't build. Don't use the JavaScript ecosystem on the server side, guys. It's, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note to make a episode on why JS is bad in backend, and you could rant your heart out there. Yeah, I'll and I will help you. Cool, because yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to think about that ahead of time so I have enough content. Because right now it's yeah. it's very very simple, but I'd still still derail this episode. <laughs> Just don't quickly. do it. That's the whole episode. Yeah. We started Just do off better. don't do it. Yeah, do better. And then we talk about anime for an hour or something. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Bonus episode, guys. Look out for it. Um But you've been using yeah, Vue. <laughs> uh it's like a Captain America um post credit scene. So you've made it this far with Vue, huh? Sometimes it's just disappointing. Yes, yeah. So yeah, I've been using Vue, and one of the biggest differences for me uh, between the three languages to learn and code on was definitely the syntax. Um, Angular, everything has to have a spec file because it's all TypeScript, and it had its own... The ng prefix really bothers me. Uh, it... It reminds me of one of the bad coding practices my CTO introduced me to called Smurf naming, where you put the name of the project or something that should be just understood in front of everything. Um, like your startup name in front of the database and everything over and over. Uh, Smurf object A, Smurf object B. So when ng this and ng that, uh, it bothered me enough to say, okay, this is a uh, little, little out of what I want to do. Yeah, just in general, I think, even just looking at the hello world for Angular, it's just so syntax heavy because it kind of looks like HTML, but it's also not. And that's the thing yeah. that I like about its comparison to Vue, where Vue's, it just looks like HTML with attributes that are strings. And even though those strings have added functionality, you don't look at it and you go, why is there a click wrapped in parentheses equal to a string that is invoking a function? This is so strange. I wish this didn't happen, which I know is how people feel about JSX initially. But I think that at least feels so separate that it's kind of like its own thing. Whereas this is like, it's just JavaScript with HTML. Whereas this is this weird hybrid thing where you've got, where you expect there to be attributes. Instead, there's just expressions that just do stuff, uh, which anytime there's a lot of syntax for syntax purposes, I'm not a big fan. That makes sense, because why would you? Um, I think that's one of the reasons I dislike Ruby, um, because it has such a drastically different syntax for me compared to every other backend language. Uh -huh. um, and it, it's not like it's the greatest language or anything. It's like Go has a little different syntax, but it has tons of benefits, so I put up with it. Ruby, when I go to it, I'm like, like I don't have to deal with this abusive relationship because <laughs> I'm getting nothing out of this. Uh, I can just as easily learn programming by going towards Python, which is a lot more welcoming and doesn't hit me at night and something. You don't have to sit um, there writing if, else, unless, otherwise. Yes, yeah. Or use arrow syntax. I always hated... Okay, maybe this is turning into a rant episode, so <laughs> I, will, I will switch over to why I love the syntax in Vue. Uh, so yeah, so Angular, as you mentioned, its own little syntax with little spec files and the HTML is in completely different files. So you have to sort of run it through a rendering engine of sorts. 
Um, React, at first, getting used to putting HTML within my JavaScript was a little icky. Um, I, I, the way I would like get over it was I would always just put all the HTML I want and variables above. And so I don't have to look at it while my JavaScript is all together. Um, I understand that's not how most React uh, that I've seen is written. There's usually Java HTML between the JavaScript components as you're writing them. Yeah, so I did actually want to address that because I kind of forgot to do it in my initial explanation that I totally failed to be spe as specific as I wanted. But the way that modern React apps, at least that I've commonly seen, tend to solve this problem because JSX combines logic and presentation, right? So you've got your HTML next alongside your JavaScript in the same component. The way that it's separated now, it tends to be with you have all your logic at the top and then you just return some amount, uh, or at least if it's well-structured, uh, you just return your JSX below that. But the JSX will essentially just look like HTML, except that instead of it equaling strings, it equals variables or variables that point at functions, those kinds of things. And so you don't have typically a ton of maps and like stuff that sort of scaffolds out your UI in that section of the file. So looking at it, you're like, I see that this is going to build this component and it receives these things and that's about it. And all the logic lives above it. And then if you have a sufficiently complex application, you can actually pull out all of that logic into what's typically called a container. And then the container holds all that logic and just loads components. And then the components hold all the display. So it kind of re-separates those things, but you get the benefit of JSX while also getting this separation of concerns from a development side. So as far as dealing with the potential frustration of having those two things combined, it's we've, as a community, sort of arrived at this is a reasonable way of keeping these things separated. So if you're not doing that, definitely search like React containers or something like that and take a look at it and see if you like it. Because my current company is the first one that I've seen do it well and i went oh this at first i was actually like this is annoying why are there containers everywhere but that was more or less subscribing to the container pattern where it wasn't needed as opposed to recognizing this is sufficiently complex let's break it down into a container at which point it's great so highly recommend it wow so not just devops and devops and front end now both are friends with containers that's right. Best friends, the friendship has started. Yes, containers everywhere. Containers everywhere. Wow, I already love this. I'm, I might actually. I'm gonna make a note. So I'm gonna go check it out. Um, and then yeah, and then finally on view, uh, it just made made me so happy. Explain uh, explain why? Because I haven't done and sufficient enough, or I haven't done enough with view to know the view joy. So the way I was introduced to friend frameworks, um, not like besides bare HTML, CSS that was taught to me in college, everything's in its own little file. You import it on the top in headers, you do a script tag and that's how you run everything. Um, the way I was actually introduced was through Flask and in Flask, what they had was they had their HTML in its own file and you would pass you and then at the very top, it expects a certain number of functions. Like you would expect props in a component. And you just tell your return function when somebody hits an endpoint saying, 
okay give the give them back this HTML with all these values so everything was still server-side rendering and it, it sort of just made sense to me because coming from a background of looking at HTML CSS and JS separate having them separate still but dynamic um, made a lot of sense and things were easier to plug plug and play around um, <clears throat> it's the same reason I enjoyed Hugo over Gatsby because I see a bunch of HTML that makes sense to me I update certain variables it runs through some sort of a transpiler it replaces the value and then it displays that's essentially what I ended up doing with Vue so Vue has two files instead of a spec file and another file and another file uh, Vue just has two files one of them is Vue.js and then you have your .js file uh, with the JavaScript code and then sorry Vue.vs whatever the Vue uh, extension is so those files have HTML on top that's just pure HTML and then you reference them by the whatever the class name is and some variables in there on the bottom with the JavaScript that renders it and then any other functions or data or anything you need to run lives in its uh, subsequent JS file so you look at the JS file and in my head I map them out as the JS file is the Python function doing everything and then the view file is the HTML file with the variables but it's a little bit more cleaner because I don't have to write any real backend code and the JavaScript I do write um, is more or less just get values transform them into proper things and display them mm -hmm. and it just it just makes sense it's it's one of those things where I just look at it and it's like I understand I don't feel dumb looking at front end anymore <laughs> and that's huge empowerment because I can look at a code base and start editing it right away if it's properly modeled and in view they do make sure you you properly are distributing I mean I guess that's with any properly architected code as long as you have make sure each one of your screens or components are in their subsequent folders everything separated um, it's easier to find code where to edit where to not and yeah I picked up this elastic view project like two days ago and I've already pretty much taken out most of the functionality and replaced it with some of the things I want to do and it took me like two days if I had to start from scratch it probably would have taken me an entire sprint um, to even start off with something very basic with react and then adding a little table and I would have been probably ashamed of how I've structured the directories and the libraries and I would have never shown you that code because you would have looked at it and said do better and yeah yes so it made me really happy because everything from as a person who's aggressively backend slash DevOps who does not see the front end or templating languages very much um, it just makes sense it looks a lot more yeah it, it's easier to pick up for me at least mm -hmm. yeah I think one of the things that stands out there too is the amount that you can keep your JavaScript on the front end doing essentially a couple things which is like replacing variables handling on clicks and conditionally rendering. If you can limit it to those things as much as possible, you're going to simplify your application. And then if you can figure out how to push other stuff away, that tends to keep things reasonable. And it sounds like from what you've said there, Vue does a really good job of saying that's where these things go. 
If you want a little bit of functionality, a little bit of interactivity, you want some variable injection, put that here and then it'll be used over here. Exactly. Cool. And I think it also was a little bit easier for me to understand because the store system in it was a little complicated, but because I was very familiar with Redux, um, it was easier for me to look at it and say, okay, this is how the state changes and state management happens and variables are thrown away from all over the place. But like we've talked in a previous podcast, if it did a really good job of processing till the end, like it, it seemed to not worry about data manipulation all over the place. It was basically, this is what I need to show. These are the things I need to plug in to show it better. And this is some of the computing I need to do in order to make that happen. And it was good because on simpler pages, there was no JS file. It was a normal HTML and you could pass it the value and it would just run whatever it needs to do to show values. And yeah, simple, clean, everything in one file. Have you worked with the view model or sorry, the V model attribute at all? Because that at least- I want to say yes. As far as- It seems like something I've seen today. Because what I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly, that's the thing that allows two-way data binding, where you can essentially say, this represents this piece of data. And then if, for example, this input changes, it'll change that data. And if that data changes, it'll change that input. Yes. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm curious if you've seen that, because the, the concern I would have coming from a React context is, well, how do you keep that from being a problem? But if it's just not, I'd like to know why it's not a problem in view. Mm. I don't know if I would run into that problem. I, I did see it. Um, it yeah. was very much just a normal syntax of getters and setters. And every time I would look at a data field that would need updating if I needed to make it, um, when I, whenever you would do any change on change, you just call the setter. Uh, kind of thing, but this application that I'm developing is very much a search the logs and display the logs, not touch the logs. I see. So I ended up removing all the setters <laughs> and cleaned up the code so that nobody even accidentally hits the endpoint right. that deletes, deletes the index in our production elastic series. Right. So how to deal with two-way data bonding? Just remove the other half. Exactly. <laughs> One-way data... I, it just makes sense. Everything flows one way. So the, unless this is one of the yeah. things I like about React in the way that I think. It's also the one I'm most familiar with, so I will be biased to it. But comp because components are just functions and that I know the data flows one way through the application, anytime I get into a, a place where I'm struggling to figure out how to implement something or I'm trying to fix a bug, I can take a step back and say, these are just functions that return thing that get things and return things. And so if I'm having some sort of stateful issue, I just need to step back and say, what happens every time this function's called? And that's all that's ever gonna happen. So if you're using something like a use state hook, you're like, it's gonna be whatever it was last time and whatever you've updated to this time is going to generate a new iteration of that function and it just can receive those values and render them. So if you can't understand what's going on, you've got a problem with a mental model of your application, which is one of the things I like about not having class components because they were hard to understand that. But having this one-way data flow through the application, passing through functions, it means that if you have a strong background in 
JavaScript, which is where I came to React from, then you can think about it as JavaScript as opposed to when I look at something like Angular, I have to know I know, or I have to, I can tell that I have to know what Angular is doing versus React looks just like I have to understand what JavaScript is doing. And I remember a conversation you and I had where you were like, I don't understand what this is doing. I was like, it just functions. And you were like, oh yeah, yeah, right. It's just functions. And that just clicked and you're like, I feel dumb. But that's all it is. At the end of the day, React is just returning JSX and it happens to do something special with those things. But if you just think of them as return values, it's just one big composed function that happens to generate your application. So it's a good mental model that I find easy to understand. But if your brain doesn't work that way, then maybe there's a different framework that will make more sense to you. And at the end of the day, unless you're being paid to work on it, you may as well work with the one that you prefer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in this case, I'm actually being paid to work on it. Even better, because so you got I'm, I'm enjoying you, you got to choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I did. Even though I removed uh, all the setters and everything, I didn't play around too much with the store. But in my mental model, the way I thought of React Redux was Redux is the database you read from. And or sorry, it's a local database you read from. And then anytime you need to make a change, you make it to the primary and then you fetch from the primary again to update the local database. And you always read from it. So there was still at least a one-way flow of data. And that's at least from the code while while I was skimming the code while I was aggressively killing it with the machete this morning. Um, that's how it seemed to me, at least however the guy had set up. It wasn't like it was updating the store and then the store was updating the API or something. It was you update the store to read and then anytime a change happens on the front end, you hit the API and points to like actually update and then those will trigger an event to update the store again. And at least that was, that was still a good cyclic one way mm -hmm. uh, for me. Maybe it does support two-way data binding on that end of your local database is the copy and whatever this reflects is what the server must. Um, but I haven't played around with it enough to get confused with two-way two data binding yet. Sure. I know I looked at it in Angular and I went out of my way to avoid it um, to make sure updates were happening in certain points and you can track how the code is uh, going places. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I mentioned it since we started the episode. So just to be clear, a few years ago, I did maintain a AngularJS application uh, for work. And so I have those haunting memories and I know that Angular is better now. I know Angular 2 was a big step and whatever Angular 98 or whatever they're on now, I know that it's probably better, but when I pull up the hello world and it looks bad and I remember all the dollar sign scopes that I had to deal with and try to figure out what was inheriting from what and how I got this context to here and why I can't render this button that doesn't exist because it's a class that inherits from a class that inherits from a class. It's uh, it's not something I miss, and I am going to hold that grudge until someone proves me otherwise. And unfortunately, for any Angular fans out there, Gian uh, doesn't seem to disagree. So we're he's on the Vue train, and I guess I'm still on the React train. Yeah, and if you're on the Angular train, f in the chat, boys. Rip. Rip. <laughs> Yeah, come at us. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, please show us 
the proper nice way to do Angular so we can probably learn. And if we still find it bad, then we will respond back with a heart emoji or something for your pain and the suffering you've been through. Yeah, <laughs> empathy. <laughs> empathy, yeah. It's one of our core values on this podcast. That's right. It's really important to me. Yeah, right next to humility. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else for view? Um, yeah, the well, well, not view, but like a point that I had for just distinction between the three, mm-hmm. uh, at least from what I search at as it stands right now, um, a big uh, plus that React had was React Native, uh, in my opinion, to create mobile apps because you want to support all the screens that you can put your application on. And Angular didn't seem to have that many support for it. Um, for Vue, I did see they have native script uh, that has decent Vue documentation that you can... And I think native script just supports any JS. So in theory, you could probably just write Angular for it. Um, transpile all of your TS into JS that goes into native code somehow. Um, it's an old language. I'm sure people have figured out how to make apps out of it, but it might not be the easiest or friendliest way of making apps. At that point, you might as well just learn Kotlin and Swift and just go the native native route. Sure. Yeah. If any anything on your list for these three wonderful languages or one wonderful language, one okay and one F. <laughs> I I mean not really. I can always just talk about opinions on how people oh, do react. Actually, but... uh I have not researched into this or known much about this. If you have any idea about uh, testing in the three frameworks. Mm. So I don't have a ton of experience with testing. The reason being... Nobody needs to test. <laughs> the reason being, I seem to be the only person that likes snapshot testing that I've ever met. Not that I've met a lot of people, but I seem to be the only one that likes it. So that's my personal preference right now, at least. And so for those who don't know, Snapshot testing takes a, it generates the, I'll start over. You pass in the props and state that you would want to your component and then take a snapshot of it. So this is for React. And what you're able to do then is commit those snapshots to your version control. And if you're working in component A and its snapshots change, you say, does this component do what I think it's supposed to do now? Yes, it looks right. When I look in the browser and I use it, it seems to do what it want, what I want it to do. I will update those snapshots. But if at the same time, component B's snapshots changed, you go, I didn't touch component B. That's not good. And then you have to figure out why your changes change component B. And then that knows, that tells you I should go look at it, see what it's doing now. And if you realize, oh, all it was was I changed this from being this value optionally, meaning this or undefined to this or undefined or null. And you go, eh, it's, it's fine. It still does the same thing. It's, the null case is handled the same as the undefined. We're good. I'll push those snapshots up. Everything's all right. And so what it does, in my mind at least, is taps you on the shoulder and says, this changed. Did you mean for it to change? And make sure that you look at it. It's kind of like everything good you get from... Uh, web driver selenium type 
testing, browser-based tests, without everything horrible about those in that they're slow and they break and they most of the time fail for no reason. And when the tests fail, your gut reaction is not to say, oh, I wonder what broke, to why did the test fail? Because it's never, it's almost never, to the point where it may as well be never, that something actually regressed. Your form still submits, you can go use it. The problem is you updated a minor version of one of your form component libraries, and now it renders differently. So you can't click it the same way. And it's, you can see it, but it's covered by an invisible block that you can't click through, so it doesn't work. So snapshot testing is the way to go. Browser testing is dumb. I wish it were good, but it's not. And I think people do model-based testing, but I don't, I don't really, I don't really know about that. It's basically like unit tests for a front end, but typically there's not so much logic in the front end that I would write a lot of unit tests for it because it's largely just filtering things and stuff. So like if you get everything from the database but, and you want it all, but you sometimes only want to show the active ones, for example, you'll have a little utility that'll just filter out the inactive ones. Like if you want to unit test that, sure, but I, that's kind of the extent of logic I typically see. And the other thing would be if you're using something like Storybook, that is a cool way of isolating sort of the presentation of a component. And you can more or less manually QA it in a isolated environment. And so that can be pretty cool. But I have not worked with it extensively. I just used it the one time, or I guess the couple times, I contributed to a Spotify code base and sure. yeah, I know. And, uh, and it was cool, but we have it at work and we don't use it. So I can't really speak to it, uh, too deeply. What about you? Right. Do you have anything for front no, end testing? No, nah, man, I, I, my front end testing chops are making sure the unstable selenium tests run as stable as possible just add more add more weight add more weight for us add more weight that's the solution <laughs> that's what i've learned on every single selenium uh, test i've ever faced just wait for the component to render that's it so bad um, yeah or use proper drivers or make sure your container actually spins up Besides that, it's in God's hand. <laughs> you have done everything a human can do, yeah. and now it's up to Chromium gods to make sure things open up, run in a headless way, and I, I don't know. Maybe we wait till we've virtualized a human that can actually like click mm -hmm. in a headless way. Be like, yeah, this makes sense. Uh, I'm doing that because I figure it's a small, tiny human. Yeah, yeah, they would sound like that. Of course, they would. Yeah. Uh, but I will say though, as far as browser-based tests go, because you probably will need to write a couple of them, Cypress is actually pretty good. It's the one that we're using at the company I'm at right now. And as far as limited frustration and pain with writing them, maintaining them is still a pain. It always will be. But writing them initially, it's been pretty good. And the UI is quite nice with it. It shows a nice directory of all your tests and you can click through them and run them one at a time or in a group and gives you nice printouts to the console so you can travel through the different states of your test. So it'll be like before you submitted your, and then when you got your stub response back, uh, after you submitted, you can toggle between those, see what your UI is doing. You can inspect the UI while it's running 
these sorts of things that you don't get to do with all frameworks that run browser-based tests. So if you are trying to pick one of ones that I've used, Cypress seems to be a good one. But yeah, just try to talk your team out of it is my advice. All right. Who needs QA, right? No, QA is really important. <laughs> I know. Browser-based testing, on the other hand, I think is literally spending time to give yourself tech debt. You're like, this stuff's going to be a pain to maintain. Let's keep writing it. We'll put two hours into writing these tests and then 48 hours into maintaining that one test without ever doing like a dependency upgrade or anything. It just happens to break for some reason. And we'll spend hours and hours maintaining it in the hope that it'll be useful when we go to do a dependency upgrade, which we have to manually QA anyway. So it makes no sense. I know, I've spent those hours and hours fixing them. I hope everybody at Literally? home understands how I feel about this. <laughs> I think they do. Good. I think they do. Good. Sorry, I could well, cut we'll off We'll do your... one for just automated browser testing. Oof. It'd just be an angry hour of me. Yeah. Sorry. I think, I think that's what's going to be the highlight of this podcast series. People are just going to be like, we need more angry Nathan. <laughs> well, they'd be the first to recommend it. Uh, <laughs> I will say, sorry, I cut off your Chris Traeger there. Uh, it was, oh, no, that's okay. I heard it was coming, but it was, the delay was a bit too much, and I was already talking. Uh, that's okay. It'll literally come back in a different way. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that wraps it up for what I have. Do you want anything Yeah, else? me too. Cool. Now, so you want to move on to the next awesome section? That's right, yeah. I need to know what you're gonna, how you did as far as doing better mm. and how you're going to continue to do better next week. Did better dot... TLD pending, um, and we're going to do better. Okay. Uh, did better. I, I said I would start, I don't know if it was last week I said I would start or the week before, but I've been reading uh, the book, the other one, that I finally now know the name okay. of, so you don't have to be in suspense. It's David and Goliath. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. Um, it's a little nicer than the other one. It still follows the same Malcolm Gladwell writing style of here's my point. Here's 10 studies proving my point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in between study six, study five will be referenced, study four will be referenced, and it just keeps going back and forth. Um, but uh, it, it, it's nice. It's uh, The last one was very much focused on how everybody who ever did great in life, all the billionaires and riches, did because of either some weird thing in the system or because they got lucky. And then at the very end, it wraps up, which I was hoping would come, was, well, yes, they had the opportunity, but they got better because they actually used those. Lots of people in their age group also had the same opportunity, but they did not go for them. And that's why they sucked and why Bill Gates is Bill Gates. <laughs> so at least that gave me a little bit of hope of as long as I keep looking for opportunities and say, not saying no to most things, uh, things will happen as we've seen in that movie with uh, the guy in the mask. I already forgot his name. Um, Batman? The guy who did the mask. The famous guy, the famous comedian. He did the movie Yes Man. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I've actually yeah. never watched The Mask, so... Oh, okay. Wow. Is that a Jim Carrey one? 
Yes, Jim Carrey. Thank you. So he's the he's the one who did that, and it's a good movie about saying yes. It's comedy, but it, I think it applies to real life to some extent. Okay. Um, but yes, David and Goliath is very much so far at least about um, how certain things or assumptions that you make about certain things are better aren't actually always, and why certain things that look like they should be worse are actually not. So good little distinction of understanding everything is not how it seems. Um, like Howard isn't the best choice for you if there's certain other factors in play. Okay, yeah, I was about to ask for an example. So. Yeah, that, that's very much it. It's like, hey, there's this person who has certain education and certain interests. Which college should they pick? This great one where they may feel like shit or this average one where they may still excel and then in later on life, both people end up doing pretty much the same mm-hmm. in life kind of thing. Um, where like, I don't know, four years ago, I would have been like, oh, that's bullcrap. You have to go to the best schools. And, you know, now I'm 25, I have no degree, but I'm still doing pretty great. So <laughs> I feel good about this. <laughs> um, yeah, so the book is pretty cool. I'm reading it. Uh, another thing I said I would do better on was uh, continue working on the Slack bot I was working on and get it live. So I did host it on a server, running into some issues, <laughs> as always with the boys. Uh, I think the problem here is just me being cheap, so I'll just allocate more resources to it. And yeah, I'm hoping um, this weekend is when this month ends, so I can have a beta release of Winston is live, go download it, play with it. Um, I, I don't have anything on the actual URL, but when I do, I will make sure to update the show notes with it. So that our one listener can go click on it and check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all on did better. For doing better, I'm going to continue reading. I'm going to make sure David and Goliath is finished by the end of the month. So that I can enter February with a new book. And yeah, I've started playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Uh, pretty fun so far. Little, little less engaging than I had hoped. Uh, the story isn't really captivating me. Uh, I just play used to play Tomb Raider always because I loved the game and the hair looked amazing. Um, <laughs> but now it's there's other factors like story and my tastes have developed more. So now I'm having a harder time. Um, but good so far. And then, yeah, as, as I said already, uh, I will do the beta launch. I will try my hardest. I'm, I will not be shaming myself if I didn't do it, uh, but I will try. I were a few weeks ahead, I would tell you to just consult your solutions architect friend, but I haven't done that yet. So that's soon. True. I uh, soon, because then you'll get a bunch of like AWS credits too. Ooh. Once you do that course and stuff, and then you can host the infrastructure for the next big do better idea. There you go. Yeah. See, this is how the rich get richer. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so I wasn't going to mention this one, but since you mentioned video games, I'm just going to bring up, uh, I said I was playing Outer Worlds. I think I mentioned this on an episode. What happened to Rocket League? So Rocket League's still a thing, and I will mention that. Okay. Okay. I tried. I was playing Outer Worlds before I got addicted to Rocket League. I played Outer Worlds for like two days. And then I played Rocket League for two and a half, three weeks, whatever it's been. And I went to play Outer Worlds again this past weekend, and it's so boring. I could not believe how bored I was. I literally looked at my companion in the game and just said to her, I was like, 
Parvati, your game's so boring. So I don't think I'm going to keep playing Outer Worlds. I'm going to try getting back into it a little bit. But for whatever reason, I'm just not connecting with it, which is weird because it's, in, as, as far as I can tell, a mostly open world RPG in space, which is pretty much all I should need. Those are like the three things I love. So I thought this is going to be great, but it's just, I don't know, a bit slow. Uh, but as far as Rocket League goes, yeah, this, I'm on a, a hot streak of doing horribly. So I, I was doing pretty well. And then I had a night where I just decided to play for a bit before bed and I was really good, but I didn't want to try to play right before bed and get all fired up and then try to sleep. So I just did training, but I was practicing the shots and they were going really well. And then I went to play the next morning, feeling good, and did some warm up, did some casual games, and then I went to ranked. And I was absolutely the sole reason our team lost. Like it was, I was in the wrong place constantly. And I, I felt like, I, I almost felt like I should leave the match to save my teammates because I'm like, they might win if I just leave. Uh, so that wasn't so good, but I'm just deciding I'm going to keep playing casual until I'm through this phase of doing horribly. And then once I'm through that phase, I'll go back into ranked because I just feel bad for other people when I show up and I'm just really bad. Uh, but I wasn't actually meant to talk about video games this whole time. The things that I did better from were I did stick to my body weight goal, so I didn't cut back on my food. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is the first time in years I can remember actually looking forward to the end of a weight gain phase for the benefit of not having to eat so much. And because normally what I do is I just up my fats and they're really easy to eat. But I went with carbs this time, which is really filling. So I'm just like, I have to eat early enough that I don't go to bed feeling really full. Because if you lie down with a bunch of rice in your gut you're just like this feels gross so i'm looking forward to not having to worry about that anymore and i'm doing one more week of more or less maintenance and then february when i go climbing i'll start down which will which will be great so i did that i did look at the do better club website theme like i said i would and that was a bit of a rabbit hole but we got it done and kept working on the aws course but this is a big commitment so i'm I'm going to do it. The big thing I need to do for if this one's t before the end of March, I would like to, this is super lame, the fact that I'm even, that this is, is a thing I can say I need to do better on. But I have so many things I own that need to be replaced. I have, like, most of my clothes have holes in it. I have bags with holes in them. I, my glasses are so scratched that I'm just choosing not to wear them on this call because it's hard to look through them. I have these all these things that by the end of March, I just need to no longer own and wear things with holes in them. I've replaced, <laughs> in, since realizing this on Friday, I've replaced my socks. So I no longer have socks with holes in them. But I'm wearing shoes right now with holes in the tops and holes on the bottoms. And... I can't believe this is a first world problem for a well-paid software developer. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, so just as a general rule, walking around at any given time, I would have had holes in my shoes, holes in my socks, uh, holes in my joggers that I wear around the house, 
but not holes in my joggers that wear out. Um, this, this shirt's fairly new, but it was secondhand, so there's a button missing, but that's okay. And so I'm not counting that. The drawstring bag I wear to the gym, that has a big hole in it. The zipper on my coat doesn't work, so I can't zip up one of my pockets. And uh, my glasses, I guess, is the other big thing. So I've got a bunch of stuff I need to replace anyway. And I haven't done it because it's one of those things that my general approach to buying stuff is, well, if I didn't need it today, why would I need it tomorrow? And <laughs> I get stuck in this situation where now I own stuff I should have replaced two years ago. And when you don't have a lady in your life to look at your shoes and say, I can see your socks through your shoes, and you don't have coworkers who are also female to say, oh, you're wearing different socks today, which is how I knew I need to replace my shoes last time, then you don't really think about it. You just live by yourself in a lockdown and you get in that situation. But realize, yeah, after the chat about getting a haircut and feeling better, I went, you know what, this is long overdue. I'm probably gonna feel a whole lot better if I have stuff that isn't in need of being replaced. So for the end of March, that's the goal. Yeah, like not even screw even the pants. Get better glasses. You need them to see. And you know what's bad about that? So this is the thing. I even have benefits that will cover these lens replacements. Yes. So I need to replace these. I. You're in this recursive loop with no exit condition. <laughs> That is, if I didn't need it yesterday, why would I need it today? Then today becomes yesterday, and then correct. it just happens over and over. There is no base case, which is how I have basically no soul left in my shoe. You're going you're gonna to be OOM very soon if you don't do something about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's just a big old stack. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm basically trying to think, if I, if I were to run into someone on the street I was trying to impress... What would I want to be wearing? And a lot of the time, it's not what I'm currently wearing. So I want that to no longer be the case. Mm. But it's going to take a but bit of time. But you're shredding. So if you do it right, you don't have to wear anything when you run into them. I suppose. That would be, that would be ideal conditions. <laughs> I don't know that I can make that happen before the end of March, though. Oh, okay. okay. So in the I'll meantime, look, look forward to it. in the meantime, I'll get in better. I'll get better shoes. Okay. See, I, because I'm accepting of everything, I am like, okay, that's, that's a legit do better goal. But my <laughs> rational brain is just like, that's just living, man. Just do better. You, well, you when should I need a resolution to buy glasses, to see properly. So when I told you about this and I told you it was going to be disappointing, <laughs> I was like, he has no idea. <laughs> he has no idea how okay. lame this is going to be. Well, everybody check back by March, because is Nathan okay? Uh, if, if I can make a website called isnathanokay.com, where he just well, this, DM him. This is perfect. By the day that this goes live, because it will be the last week of March, it should be March 27th, I think. Or no, 29th, because I'm, I'm pretty sure the last episode that I scheduled was on the 22nd. So it should be that. Yeah, yeah. it is March 29th. March 29th. By the time this episode goes out... I should be looking dapper, wearing much better clothes, and uh, feeling good, hopefully. Yeah, so there you go. Being, being an, By, a grown adult. Yeah, when you listen to this, uh, in addition to now knowing perfectly which front-end framework you need to use, 
please hit us up on social media so that we can verify that Nathan actually has new clothes you know and glasses. This is perfect because this goes out and then immediately when people find out about it, I can be not a problem anymore. So they can't even get mad at me. So as soon as they find out, I've already fixed it. We need a before and after. Yeah, maybe right. I'll just record the various things I replace. We're going to need to start vlogging. So the three people who listen to this are going to need us to put more content out. That's right. Yeah. Well, so far, for all those wondering at home, I've thrown out four pairs of socks that had uh, essentially no bottom. They were kind of just like uh, like covers for my feet. Damn. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say that this is where we stop. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do better on that. Yes. I, I look forward to it. I will probably be checking in with you <laughs> a lot more than I currently do because <laughs> I'm concerned. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, anything else you want to do better on that's not as quite as concerning? Uh, well, no, really. I'm just going to keep doing the AWS course. Keep playing Rocket League. The stuff I keep talking about. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, anybody, for listening to this. Hit us up on social media for anything you found amusing on this episode or for ideas for what else you would like us to talk about or cover for tech stuff. And why we're wrong about um, Angular. That's true. Yeah, prove us wrong about Angular. That actually would make me happy. Cool. Well, yeah. Bye. <laughs>